Well, good morning. Before we jump into this, I wanted to just give a quick announcement. Uh, many of you either saw the video or you heard the news. So the story goes like this. Uh, Carlos, who leads us in our worship, he, a number of years ago, met a beautiful young woman. They fell in love and got married, and her parents pastor a church in the Boston area, and they have been, uh, they identified in Carlos a gifting, and they've been working with him and, and uh, building ministry skills and preaching and leading in, in music and other things. And so they have uh, asked him to, uh, to transition his ministry to, uh, to work with them on Sunday mornings, which uh, is great news for them and is uh, really bittersweet for us. But it's just been such a joy to see, uh, Carlos' brother, to see uh, your, you, yeah, the, the, to see your gifts being developed like that and to see you exploring uh, new aspects of ministry and beyond, certainly your music, but beyond that as well. We've always appreciated your heart to worship and to put other things aside and doesn't matter what's happening around you when you begin to worship the Lord uh, through song, everything else seems to just fade away and it draws us into the same thing. We really appreciate that. That's what we're gonna miss a lot and just having you around. So you're not, you know, Carlos is not going away away, but you know, on Sunday mornings, we're not going to see him in quite the same way. So uh, take a look at that video. We'll link it to our, it's on our Facebook page. You can link it. We'll find a way to get it to you if you haven't seen it. Um, so after service, and he's, this isn't his last week either. So we've got a few more weeks here, but uh, we're going to have cake and sort of celebrate his ministry. And you can uh, make sure to greet him in the rotunda after service and we'll eat cake. Um, <laughs> Thank you, brother. The, today, so Happy New Year, by the way. Some of you didn't make it last week. We were here. Uh, you might have slept in. So you may not have heard the big news. Our country has a new top New Year's resolution. So there's this group that's been researching and doing the uh, surveying people. You know, what's your top New Year's resolution? And for years, the top resolution for Americans was to lose weight. This year, weight loss has been dethroned as the top resolution. The new number one resolution in America is, does anybody know? To not go to church, I wish. <laughs> the, the new resolution is to be a better person. So spiritually, that's fascinating to me. And if you were at a New Year's party and you got in conversation, hey, what's your New Year's resolution? Oh, I want to be a better person. Well, what do you mean by that? What is a good person? What does it mean to be a good person or a better person? And, and, and as a Christian, I'm thinking, you know, wow, if, if you think you want to be a better person, that means you're admitting that there's something deficient or broken. And I'm thinking of the gospel. I'm thinking, well, we're sinners and we aren't good people by you know, inherently we are sinful and we need redemption. How do you become better? You can start a conversation about the gospel. Again, of course, this is why I'm no fun at parties. Here's <laughs> parties. Because I just, you know, what do you mean? Like, just trying to be a better person. You know, leave me alone. Um, now, if you break the research down by region, uh, the northeast of the United States is not be a better person territory. <laughs> We're still, uh, weight, we're still weight loss uh, region. You can look, there's a Marist poll. You could look up their uh, research. 
And in most Americans, you know, more than half of Americans aren't even making any resolution at all. But the, the point is this, uh, whatever your priority, whatever your goal is, it's about priority in life. It's what, you know, on any given day you get up, what is, what are you going to focus on? We immediately, we wake up in the morning, you have to start prioritizing how you're going to use your time, what are you going to focus on? And this morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture which describes Jesus as supreme. Jesus is God Almighty, the creator, the sustainer, the reconciler of all things. So no matter what you choose to focus on this year, whether you are uh, trying to be healthier or trying to get your finances in order or to be a better person, Jesus is the source of all life and the sustainer of all things. So if we do not put our initial and first and primary focus on Jesus, then we're looking in the wrong place. And all those other things will not just fall into line. So we need to, as Jesus said, remain in me and you'll bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we looked at that scripture last week as Javi was preaching for us. And for those of you who weren't here, I, you know, I understand. Uh, in a nutshell, he was, he was talking about two ways that you can receive direction in life. One is you can get lost and ask somebody for direction and hear the direction and go off on your own and try to find what you're looking for. The other way to get direction in life is to bring somebody with you who knows the way, who can guide you step by step, as opposed to just getting the instructions and leaving. You, you're walking with somebody. In God's providence, that's how he has designed our relationship with him, that he is with us always as we walk. We, we remain in him and he with us. So we don't just go to him when we're lost. We don't just uh, look to him when we, we've lost the path, but he is with us step by step. And this is, this is the focus. The, if we're going to accomplish anything in life, we need to understand how life works. We're going to look at that this morning. This passage of scripture comes from the letter written by St. Paul to the church in Colossae, the Colossians. And I want to give you a little bit of background into this letter, because this winter, on the weeks that I'm here, so when I'm not here, I'm usually preaching at our North Andover campus, and when I'm not there, I'm here. On the weeks that I'm here, I'll be preaching from Colossians, and I want to give a backdrop to the letter, because we're going to spend a lot of time there. So let's pray today. So Father God, um, every day is new. Every, every, every breath we take is, is a new opportunity to to know and experience you and experience how you've created us to be. And as, as we sort of turn a new page, as the whole world has a marker here to begin a, a new year, I pray, Lord, that we would see you as primary, to see you as you really are. So as we look at your word, Lord, give us wisdom. Be our teacher. By your spirit, help us to understand your heart. And grant us the grace to be obedient to you. We give this time to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, first, a little background before we look at this specific passage. So this letter is a very short letter. It's only four chapters, but it's loaded, I would say. If you've ever read it or studied it, it's just got a, there's a lot there. It was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a man who was not a Christian or a follower of Jesus. He had a very intense encounter with Jesus. And from that point in his life forward, he lived his life on mission. And God called him to travel from place to place 
and to speak of, what, of who Jesus was and what he had done. And they, people believed, and they formed churches. And he would appoint leaders in those places and then leave and go to the next place. And he, would, he had all these different journeys, and he was keeping up with how things were going in these churches. And some were doing very well, and some were struggling. And this particular letter, again, written to the church in Colossae around year 61 or 62 A.D., that's very important for us to note that these teachings about Jesus are very early in the history of the church. That what Paul taught about Jesus was what the early Christians taught. These are not ideas about Jesus that evolved over hundreds of years later where Christians started to deify Jesus. He's teaching early on you know, Jesus is God in the flesh. And it's very clear in this passage here, you know, crystal clear, that that is his intent. And so just keep in mind that this is a very early teaching of the church. So Paul's writing to this church, but actually this is not a church that he planted. But he felt so connected to this church in Colossae that he counted it as if it was one of the churches he planted. The best we understand is there was a man named Epaphras who was in Ephesus, and that was a big city where not far, or a decent distance from Colossae. But Epaphras was in Ephesus when Paul was teaching there and preaching, and he was there for a long time, and established the church. So this man came to faith, and he traveled back to his hometown of Colossae and told the people there about Jesus. He taught them the truth. They accepted it, and they formed a church. And now Epaphras is visiting Paul. He's now in a prison in Rome as he's writing this, and he's reporting how it's going in the church. And so Paul writes this letter. That's sort of the occasion of his writing. And the letter starts out, Paul writes it to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. So the way that he refers to them is really the way that we can all be referred to, is we are, we have our faith in Jesus. So as Christians, our primary identity is to the Lord Jesus. He is our source. He is our faith. Our secondary identity is to a certain time and place. So this is to those with faith in Colossae. For us, we are those who have faith in Jesus in the Merrimack Valley, in Andover and the surrounding towns and communities. This is our identity, primarily in Christ, and then secondarily to a specific time and place. This particular city of Colossae, was a, it wasn't a small town, but it wasn't a real important city either. It was part of a tri-city region. So there was Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. So the three cities sort of formed this region. And it was a good place. It was fertile, so there was a lot of pasture land. But uniquely, the water in that area was very chalky, there was a lot of uh, uh, calcium in the water. So when they dyed their wool to make dyed wool, it was good. It, it made for very good, the water made for a very good base for their dyes, and they were famous for that. And this was one of their main exports, one of their main products in their economy. They had good pasture land, so they had a lot of sheep, a lot of wool, and good water to make good dyes. And that's what they, that was sort of the, the main part of their industry there. But it was also a place that was prone to earthquakes. So it was not the most stable place. Literally, the ground wasn't stable. But 
it, it seems that this may have caused disruption and that the, the city of Colossae really faded, of the three cities, faded first. Laodicea was sort of a political capital, um, Hierapolis. In those two towns, even till today, you can go and visit remains from the, you know, from the time of Jesus in the first century. There's still ruins that exist. In Colossae, there's nothing. You wouldn't even know there was a city there. It's just a, it's, it's not much of a place. So the point is this, that even at the time of the writing of this letter, it was a place of faded glory. It was already a, a city in decline. Whatever importance it had as a, in trade and in their products was already starting to fade away. So most people in Colossae were farming or taking care of animals. They were dyeing wool. They, a number of them would have been in a servant, sort of an indentured servant to slave, slave class of people. They're just people just trying to scrape together a living and just doing, it was just normal, ordinary people. It wasn't a place of great power, a place of great anything, really. So the message of this letter is to stand firm in the truth that you've been taught about Jesus. In and out of your, just you just live it out in your everyday life. This is a good letter for us because in many ways we are just ordinary people. There's good people in this room, but not many people in this room have a lot of authority, political power, people of great influence. Some of you have done very well in, in, your, in your specific fields and have accomplished great things, but if any one of us were to disappear, I'm not sure the world would be a vastly different type of a place. Uh, our town, the town of Andover here, is a lovely town. We have a prestigious prep school with good education. There's the Merrimack River. is a, a, a big river. There's, you know, there's great companies in this town, and good things happen. But at the end of the day, the world is not looking to Andover, Massachusetts, and the surrounding communities for as a source of, of life and wisdom and to answer the world's problems. Not yet. But it has... We are not the center of the universe, you know, as, as we know it. So, but that's good news because this letter is written to people and it's sort of an ordinary town. And again, we do ordinary things. We, we get up and we go to work and we uh, raise children. We have children we want to educate and we want to keep them healthy and raise them in faith. And we need to do our work so we can earn money to support our families and to have health care and to you know, have the community be a healthy place to live and to serve. It's just, it's very ordinary. But at the same time, nothing is ordinary. Normal is not normal if Jesus is the Lord of all. If Jesus is the Lord of all, he's the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of your household and your neighborhood and your Monday morning. Jesus is Lord of everything that you see and everything that you do. And that's a big picture. That is a profound message in the starting point of this letter. Now, now, there were some issues in this particular area. So the foundational teaching, the very first teaching, is to remind these ordinary people in this ordinary city to hold firm to the truth of Jesus. He reiterates the good news of Jesus. He reiterates what, who Jesus is and what he has done. That's the starting point. And then he goes to address some more specific issues. 
And honestly, we don't know what the, what the particular issues were in Colossae. We only have one, we have this letter, but we don't have, we don't know what Epaphras said to Paul in prison. If you ever listen to somebody on the phone and you only hear half the conversation and you're wondering what the other person's saying, what are you talking about? What, what was that? We, we sort of have to do that as we read the Bible like this. We have to try to figure out what was on the other side. We know that there might have been some folk religion where people were worshiping angels or spirits and there was some other legal, kind of legalistic religion. And Colossae was a place that was, had some diversity of faith and religious belief. It's a spiritual religious marketplace where there are choices. And in many ways, that's, that's our world too, isn't it? We, we live in, particularly in this country, certainly in this region, there is a vast marketplace of spiritual ideas. And people say, well, you're American. You know, your faith can be whatever you want. You know, what do you want to believe about God? You should just believe that. And there's all kinds of different spiritual ideas, and you can you're free to choose. You're not stuck with what your parents taught you or what a church taught you. The, the, the thing is, with that frame of mind, that's a very self-focused way of looking at God in the world. It starts with the self. It starts with me. What do I want from God? What do I think about God? What do I want God to be like? As opposed to starting with who is God? What has he done? Has he revealed himself? Can I know him? And then how does that inform me who I am? Do you see the, the difference there? One starts with the self. The other starts with God. And that's where this teaching starts focused on who God is, what he's done. So that's the backdrop of this whole letter. And I just, it's kind of a long introduction to that, but we're going to spend a lot of time here, so I wanted to make sure that we understood this. So here's the message, the beginning of the letter, 1 Corinthians 15 through 20. What does this say about Jesus? And this language is beautiful. It's almost poetic. It's just such rich language. But let's start here in verse 15. It's in the back of your bulletin here. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That the Son, Jesus, is the image, a perfect reflection. This is the Son of God is, so there's an invisible God, but the Son can be seen, and the Son is this perfect reflection, perfect image of God. And that the Son is the firstborn over all creation. Now, firstborn is a description of the status of the Son, not the fact that the Son was somehow the first created thing. And Paul goes out of his way to point out that Jesus was not created, that Jesus was eternally existent with the Father before all things. And, but firstborn means preeminent, not created. Uh, it's about authority. It's about the rights. In verse 19, it, we, we see again, you know, all the fullness of God lives in the Son. So there's no part of the fullness of God that Jesus does not have. Jesus is God in the flesh. So he's the preeminent one, the one with all the authority. And we see in verse 16, he's the Lord of creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the agent of creation. Everything that's created, everything you can see, 
And everything that you cannot see has been created by him. But not just by him, it's for him. The goal of creation is Jesus and his pleasure and his, and his glory. So it's by him, it's for him, and he sustains it all. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. If Jesus didn't hold it together, the creation, it would disappear. It would be gone. Your very life and everything that you see is held together only by the providence of Jesus. He is the Lord of all. That means he's the Lord of your life, the Lord of your every day. Again, the, the, the Lord of your workplace, your neighborhood, your home. All those things. Well, that's kind of a big picture. That's kind of a big idea. And it can be hard to grasp this reality. It would seem to be so evident if this, if this is what it is. I was reflecting on this passage of scripture. I was just walking across the street here. And I looked up and I saw a little airplane in the sky. It's just a little sport, somebody out for a flight, a little sport plane. And I thought to myself, Jesus is the Lord of that airplane and the pilot, whoever he or she is. And there's all the laws that were made to determine who can fly a plane and how that person got their license and uh, when, when and how you can fly. And then there was the machine that's flying. Was, there was engineers with brains and raw materials to be able to conceive of and develop and build this thing. And then person had to have money to buy the plane or rent the plane or borrow it from a friend and, and then they're up in the air and everything that they see is created by the Lord Jesus and it, it held together by him alone. Does that person in the plane know that? Do they even care about all Jesus' lordship over all those things? Or is the person just flying a plane? It, it's easy just to ignore it. That Jesus is Lord and he created all things, yet he comes into that creation and, and is not even recognized. It's easy just to ignore it. I mean, the other thing it's easy to do is to feel that, well, maybe he's just not around. Not just in a you know, recreational, flying, kind of a positive, mundane thing. It's easy to miss him in the mundane, but then there's the things that are really hard and negative and broken and just the news even yesterday another shooting in our country and it just we ask you know well where is god how is god holding that together where's jesus in the midst of this suffering and this uh, it, killing and violence and where where is it so either we want to ignore it or we just miss it all together <clears throat> jesus is lord of creation but what we need to remember is Jesus is not just the Lord of creation, but he's the Lord of redemption as well. Take a look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here's God's mission. So all the fullness of God lives in Jesus. And Jesus' mission is to reconcile all things to himself. So what we need to remember, whether we just ignore the lordship of Jesus or it's so hard to see it because what we see is so broken, is that the world is very broken. The creation is very broken by sin. Sin and brokenness and death and violence and, 
and illness. All these things are a result of the creation turning from its creator and going its own way. So not only does Jesus create it, but he's come in to save it, to rescue it, to redeem it. That is the mission, to reconcile all things to himself. And it's not just that Jesus came to save your soul. He did that. He came to save souls. But it wasn't that Jesus came to save the human part of creation, but he came to save all of creation, the things that you can see and the things that you can't see. It's a massive scope of his redeeming work. So all of the, all of the brokenness and the violence and the, or all of the mundane, all of the things that are good or normal or just pastime, he is redeeming all those things. And the pivotal point, verse 20, is the cross. He does it by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the turning point. The God of creation is the God of redemption, and it's coming through the cross. That Jesus came to this earth, God takes on human flesh, and all of the sin, and all of the death, and all of the violence goes on to Jesus on the cross. He absorbs it into himself, and he dies in our place the death we deserve to die. But he rises from the, from the dead, that Jesus created life, and even life and death itself is subject to his authority. So he, he is more powerful than even death, rises from the dead to bring new life and a new way and redemption to his people. We can experience that in our everyday. We can experience the implications of, of this redeeming work. That's a big picture of Jesus that Paul lays out. So now what do we do with this? Because this can feel a little overwhelming. So, okay, well, this is, he's redeeming all things, but I'm trying to figure out what this looks like in my everyday or when I walk down the street. And again, if you look at the title of the sermon, we're talking big picture, and we're going to get there to the intersections of our everyday. But let me, let me give you a couple things to take with you. Two things. One is comfort and one is a challenge. First, the comfort. Take comfort. Christianity is not just another way to be religious. It's not just another way of life, a code of steps to take in life. It is about a person, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, the reconciler of the universe. And it's a message written to perhaps the most unimportant place that these early Christians wrote a message to. If you struggle, if you struggle to see your life as significant, this is a message of comfort for you. This is a time of year where it's easy to feel insignificant for two reasons. One is because it's dark, and the sun comes up late, and it goes down really early, and every day is getting a little bit longer, but they're still very short, and it's the time of year where some people have a more of a clinical, seasonal affective disorder, but for any of us, it's so easy to feel off, to feel blue, to feel insignificant or down. And the message of comfort to us is that in the midst of whatever you're feeling, Jesus is the Lord of your life. He's your creator and he's your reconciler. And he is with you. The other reason it's easy to feel insignificant this time of year is because it's a time when we look back over last year and we can see the things that didn't go well last year, the relationships that became broken, the 
the trials, the, the struggles, the goals that were not achieved, the resolutions that were never accomplished. And we look forward and don't feel hopeful about the future. The comfort we have is that Jesus is Lord over everything. As insignificant as you may feel. That's the comfort. Second thing that you can take with you is this challenge. The challenge now is to understand my connection to Jesus. How does my connection to Jesus and my story connect to his big story, his big story of creating and redeeming all things? And again, we'll get to this in detail. Chapters 3 and 4 of this letter talk about how to live a holy life, and how to clothe ourselves with things like compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, how we can have a whole new dimension of love and forgiveness in our lives, how our, our every day can be filled with just deep gratitude because of our connection to Jesus. How do husbands and wives relate to each other, parents and children, workers and bosses? All these things are specifically laid out for us, and we will get to them. But for today, let's start with prayer. The challenge to connect my story to God's big story, I, I just pray, Lord, how does my story intersect with your story today? Show me, Lord, what you are doing as Lord of the universe, redeeming the world, reconciling all things to yourself. Show me what that is today. Open my eyes to see it when it's happening before me. May it start with me in my heart in everything, in everything my life intersects with today. That's just a simple prayer. But we could start this new year there, that our focus would be on him and what he's doing, and let everything else flow from that. And we'll get to the specifics, but first things first. The priority is Jesus. He is the ruler of all. He is the agent of creation, the goal of creation. It's for him. He's the sustainer of all creation. He is the head of the church. He is the one through whom God reconciles all things through his death on the cross. Amen.